I'm about to celebrate 25 years of being cancer-free, and I'm extremely excited about it. Those of you that have never heard the testimony that I will be bringing to you tonight will help make sense of what this ministry is all about. Because once you hear the testimony, then you'll understand why we do what we do and the passion that we have for souls. And you'll understand when you hear the testimony tonight. Because God gave me a second chance. A lot of people don't get a second chance. But He really is. You've heard it said, but it's true. He is the God of second chances. Uh, 25, almost 25 years ago, I made a, a drastic mistake. I thought I had a plan that was better than the Lord's. And what a mistake it was. Because I thought that with a brother already in the ministry, the Lord didn't need us both. I could do something else. And even though the Lord had called me into the ministry at a young age, and I knew it clearly, I rebelled against it and did my own thing. And football was my thing. You know, in Oklahoma, they grow them big. I was one of the smaller players on my team. I was just mean, and that helped me make up for a lack of size. And, uh, and I repented many a Sunday for what happened on many a Friday night uh, that not everybody knew about, but the Lord did forgive me. Amen. But I signed a letter of intent. My coach in high school was Larry Coker, head coach of the Miami, Florida Hurricanes. And he was leaving the high school ranks, going to the college ranks, and he was taking me and a linebacker with him on a full scholarship. Division I college football, it was such a big thrill for a boy from a small town in Oklahoma. I got caught up in the, in the hoopla of it all, signed the letter of intent, and made my way there to do what I was trained to do. But the whole time I was there, I was miserable because I wasn't following God's plan. It's a great thing. I had many friends that went on and played college sports. Some even made it to the professional ranks, but it wasn't God's plan for me. And so I wrestled with it and struggled with it. You know, when you don't follow the Lord's plan, you might be doing something that seems to be great, but there's no joy and there's no happiness and there's no peace. And I found that you can be doing something that great that everybody notices you for, but when you internally have no peace, it means nothing. And so I was struggling with this. And, and about the time I was right in the middle of this, all of a sudden I, this cough developed. And it just wouldn't go away. I had never had any kind of sickness to speak of uh, in my life before nor since this, this occasion. And uh, it just wouldn't go away. I went to the doctor and had a physical exam thinking he'll prescribe something to take away this irritating cough that was lasting for weeks and getting worse. It was starting to be painful. I was noticing one day after practice, I was showering and I was washing my neck. And for the first time, I felt lumps under the skin. And now I was aware that there were these hard rock-like lumps under the skin, around the neck, under the arms. I located them around the rib cage and around the waistline. All of a sudden I realized something, something is wrong. I went to the doctor immediately and he said, we'll call you if there's any, uh, any problem. I'm thinking, we're all believers. My family's Christians. We're not going to have any trouble. We love the Lord. But that doesn't exempt you from trial. It doesn't exempt you from test. But you have someone that will take you through every storm and lead you to a desired haven. But, but uh, I was thinking, oh, we're, we're not going to have any trouble. We love the Lord. But when he did call, just three days later, it was a very negative report. Mark, we're sorry to inform you that we have found several 
large black masses the size of golf balls that have filled your chest cavity. From the top of your chest cavity all the way through, there are masses of, of uh, these masses everywhere. He said, there are two masses the size of a small fist, one near the heart, another near a lung. This was now starting to explain the constant irritation uh, by one of the lungs that was causing this cough that just nothing would take it away. No matter what you would get prescription or non, nothing would take it away. It kept getting worse. My heart would start beating irregularly and weird things were happening to me physically at the age of 19 that I'd never dealt with before. He said, we have taken the liberty to have you admitted at St. John's in Tulsa and you need to go immediately. He said, this is very serious. It's, it's, it, it's more advanced than I'm able to, to, to uh, treat and to deal with. And two great uh, specialists have agreed to take your case at my referral. And I want you to go, not tomorrow, but you need to go immediately. And I hung up the phone. It's the Christmas break for the college students, you know. I looked at my parents and I said, you'll never believe what was just told to me. And I reiterated the news to them. And they were just silent as they could not believe. Right as we're about to celebrate Christmas and holidays. And everybody's in. And, and now we're going to be going to a hospital and we don't know what is going to happen. So we pack a little overnight case and we make our way to the hospital. And we're admitted at St. John's. And two of the finest specialists in this part of the country walks into my room, introduces themselves as my physicians. One was the chief surgeon of uh, St. John's and the other was a lung specialist, a veteran in this area and they, these men were just great and I, I thank God for them. Sometimes friends though you get in a situation where even the finest of care is still not enough and a miracle is when only God can do it because man will always come to the end of his abilities, his expertise, his knowledge or his training no matter who they are they will always come to an end but that's where the Lord takes over. Because with Him there is no end. There is no limit to what He can do. With God nothing is impossible. So that's where a miracle has to take place. When you need to go beyond what man can do in his, his best ability. So that's where we were at as we didn't realize we were there. Until the next several days every test imaginable was performed. Some tests were not a problem. There were other tests. I don't ever want to see them again. Some were very challenging and very uncomfortable. Finally, at the end of those tests, it was a Wednesday evening. Wednesday night for you's church night. Wednesday night for me growing up in church was church night. We didn't play ball on Wednesday nights. We didn't practice on Wednesday nights. My dad told the coaches when we were that tall, our boys will not be around Wednesdays or Sundays. Deal with it. And they just dealt with it. And they made a stand for the Lord. Said, we're not missing church to play ball. That's just the way it is. You know, I appreciate that. Because now we're in a time where parents need to do more of that. And not allow all of these things to keep replacing the Lord. And replacing faithfulness. And replacing what really is of most importance. They can still play. They'll be there 99% of the time. And it will not hinder their ability to perform or to proceed. Because if you sell out to God, He'll put you at a level where no one else can go anyway because He will reward those that diligently seek Him. No, I'm not Dr. Phil, but that was still good advice. I appreciate my folks for that.
making a stand. Well, we needed a miracle when the doctors came in Wednesday night and said we have all the results. They had had dialogue with the Mayo Clinic. I had the finest of care. But they came in Wednesday night and said something we were not prepared to hear. They said Mark has cancer of the lymph nodes called lymphoma. And I saw the pictures of all the cancerous mass scattered throughout the chest cavity. I saw the pictures of the clusters of cancerous mass near the vital organs of heart and lungs. And if you know anything about cancer, lymphoma is quickly, uh, will spread quickly and rapidly. And life can be over in a matter of weeks or short months. I knew I was in trouble when the doctor said to my parents, it spread so rapidly. He used the words, these words. He said, it has been spreading like wildfire. And when he said these words, I knew I was in trouble when he said, chemo or radiation will not help us. Now, when you're beyond chemo or radiation, you're in trouble. It's a far uh, advanced stage of cancer. And the doctor looked at my parents and said, we need a miracle. Now, when he said the word miracle, I saw my parents, their, their countenance lifted as believers. But he was not talking about the kind of miracle that we're talking about. He was talking about medically speaking, because what they wanted to do, he immediately went into the plan of action, should our family sign uh, the dotted line, deeming it necessary and giving them the uh, approval to do it. He said, we want to do two major surgeries. We want to make an incision here at the, at the neck. We want to create a large opening. We want to go inside and remove much of this mass that's in the upper uh, portion of the chest cavity. He said, the second surgery will be the most critical and the most difficult. It will be a surgery that will last about 11 to 12 hours. We will make an incision that will begin from the middle of the stomach and the incision will wrap all the way around to the other side. He said, we will need to open Mark up on his right side, break the ribs, some of the ribs, and this is how we will go in and start a long, tedious process of removing cancer. The obvious question to everyone after we heard it all was, can you get it all? Because when you're 19, the second surgery, as gruesome and as barbaric as it sounds, you don't care what they have to do. You just want to know one thing. Can you get all the cancer? Because at 19, you've got age and time on your side. And eventually, you will heal. So the question was asked. And we just knew with that kind of two radical, aggressive surgeries to be done, surely. And he said, we're not sure that we can. These cancerous masses near the heart and lungs are spreading to other organs, and we're very, very concerned. So the question was then asked, well, then how long would he have to live if all of this cancer can't be removed? My family's kind of a family of bottom lines. Just give us the bottom line, and we'll deal with it. And they were not, we were still not prepared for everything that it seemed like it kept going downhill. You know, we kept thinking, well, with this question, we'll get a ray of hope, or with that question, it'll be better. But the obvious answer was not the one that they gave us my doctor looked at my parents and said three to six months to live we need a miracle and with that he said some other things to our family he left the room and my parents who still to this day are strength uh, in my life my dad is 76 my mom is just about to turn 79 I love them more than words can say but I saw them go to their knees on that floor in disbelief and began to cry like babies, stretching their arms across me on the bed. They didn't have anything to say, didn't have a song to sing. They were just crying because they were hurting for me. 
And um, I remember thinking at 19, why are you all bawling and squalling like this? I'm the one that's got the trouble. But when I had my own children, I understand now because you know my son right now is the age that I was when this happened. My son's 19. And I can't imagine. I just can't even fathom it. And so my parents, at my request, left a little later in the evening and to go home. The next morning surgery was scheduled. The first surgery at 7 o'clock sharp. I would be in intensive care for a long time. It was a day that everybody dreaded. My brother Mike, Mike's been here, ministered to you. I believe he's coming back in February on a Wednesday night. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Mike was an evangelist at the time, and he was in Grand Junction, Colorado. And a snowstorm, a blizzard came through and closed down the city, shut down the interstate. He's at a Holiday Inn where that church had put him up for revival and couldn't get out of the parking lot of the hotel to get on the interstate that was now closed. And so my only other sibling, my brother, and I talked by phone and he just cried and cried. He said, I can't get to you. I would have driven all night long and been there. I can't get out of this parking lot. But the Lord sent me some special people. Dr. Kenneth Hagen came by. One of Oral Roberts' associates came by ministered to me. Buddy Harrison came by. And if I mentioned a few others, you might recognize, some of you might recognize their names, but the Lord sent some from very special people to me, some friends and family and ministers and ministries that, that I didn't even know, but at the request of others calling, people came by and prayed that God would touch me and heal me. But God used someone very special. And that person, we will be celebrating their homegoing Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. This is my first time to give my testimony with my grandmother not living. She'll be, she would have been 101 January the 19th. This woman of God was the first one saved in our family. She was the first one baptized in the Holy Ghost. Salvation and Pentecost came to this family through her in the early 1900s. She just happened to be born the year Azusa happened. She's a woman of Azusa, a child of Azusa. And she was saved in the early 1900s in an old Brush Arbor meeting where she said that when the preachers would come and preach the gospel, it would stir up the city. Because she said in those days when God moved, people's lives changed. And she said when their lives changed, the, the um, moonshiners would go out of business. And stuff that some of the other generations don't even know what we're talking about. My grandpa was one. My grandpa said if the police only knew of what he had done, he had never got out of prison. But he got away with things that none of us even know about. But he was a moonshiner. He was the one that, that made liquor and sold it, peddled it all around. My grandmother was saved as a young girl. There was a woman evangelist. A woman evangelist preached the gospel in Rogers County. Oklahoma, And in that Brush Arbor meeting as a little girl from a mainline denominational dead, dry, lethargic church, he had never heard the gospel and went to church every Sunday. She got saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost. A few years later, married my grandpa. She said he was a woolly booger. He all but told her, don't be telling me about the Lord. He even threatened her if he caught her going to that Holy Roller Church. She said, I'm going anyway, do what you need to do. She got in there and got just committed, full of the Holy Ghost. 
She said one day he was out digging post holes for a fence for around the acreage there. Everybody lived in rural America in those days, especially in our part of Oklahoma. She said she went out to take him lunch one day and always made that sweet tea. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't mean that kind you got to add 14 Splendas to. I mean the kind that three cups of sugar, yea, I say unto thee, three cups of sugar. Yeah, I said sweet tea. Come on, somebody. I like it. I'd like to have a big old jug right now. I'd like to have a cur jar full of sweet tea right now. A cur jar. Amen. Went out there to take him his lunch, and she said when she pulls up in a horse-drawn buggy with lunch in a basket in the back, he's kneeling down at one of those posts he had just set in the ground with his head against the post, just weeping and crying and repenting of his sins. He gave his heart to the Lord. This grandma, thank you for giving me a moment to just go back. This grandma was the one I called, my dad's mother. And I said, Mamma, I need you to pray. Here's what we've just been told. She didn't want to talk. She wasn't interested in a lot of conversation. In fact, while I was still talking, she hung up until I heard the buzz on the other end that that line had been disconnected. My grandmother's ministry was never on the platform. I don't remember her ever teaching a class. But she was the one that led the prayer meetings. She was the intercessor of the house. Her and many others, they didn't need accolades. They didn't need to be recognized. But they would meet together in homes or side rooms in the church when no one knew it and would pray the glory of God down and pray revival into our cities and into our nation. I'm telling you, friends, the greatest ministry in the modern-day church is the ministry of the intercessor. Because it's on our knees that God's going to answer prayer. It's when we cry out to God that He will respond. We need more intercessors than we ever have before. And it doesn't need to be lost with another generation. It needs to be taught to the previous generation who understands that you've got to pursue God in prayer. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And it's true. I called her and I said, we need you to pray. Here's what I've been told. I went through the whole thing with her. She told me when I interviewed her, her after the miracle, she said, when you called, she said, the presence of the Lord just started filling my house. And she said, I got ready for bed, got comfortable because I was, getting, I was going to go to battle. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I put on my favorite. I can still picture it. The favorite gown from the Christmas of about 51. Slippers from a birthday from 66. You know, there's new silks in the closet, you know, from the, the nicer stores in the mall. But grandmas always have their favorites. Then she would put a hairnet on. It was always a heavy gauge net. Yea, I say unto thee, you could take it to northern Canada and fish for pike and walleye. I am convinced this net is of that grade. And would hold that dew in place between Friday appointments. Come on, somebody. And then Mamma would put some kind of cold cream on her face. And she would shine like the morning sun. You could see her for three blocks. When we were kids staying overnight with Grandma, you know, we'd take our turns. Whoever, whosever turn it was got to stay Friday night, Saturday night, and get up and have eggs and bacon. Come on, somebody. Eggs and bacon and, and gospel music being played in the house, getting ready for Sunday school. And she'd be frying chicken. Sherry, she'd be frying chicken, kind of like the chicken you fry. And I knew we were having chicken when Grandma would come to church and I could smell a combination of chicken grease and Estee Lauder. I knew we were going to be having chicken about 1230. 
It's fun to go back. It's fun to go back. Well, she started praying after she got all of her stuff on and got her stuff, you know. We as kids, we'd stay overnight. We'd try to kiss her goodnight, and we'd slide off. She was the slickest woman. I don't know if it's some kind of miracle cream or if it was just ponds, but it worked wonders. Amen. Well, she started praying. I asked her when she started. She said she remembered it was about 11. After I called her, she got ready for bed. She started praying. And only as an intercessor can, she began to go to battle. She put her game face on. And it's not time to be joking around now. It's time to pray. And when she prayed, she walked the floor, walked the aisle, walked the halls, and in and out of the kitchen, the two little bedrooms in that frame house. And she would be walking, and she said, the Lord checked her and said, stand on my word. So she kept on praying, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. I come standing on your word. And as she started praying, she said a second time there was a check, stand on my word. She didn't know what the Lord was wanting. So she thought maybe she wasn't fervent enough. So she picked up the volume. Father! Sorry. (laughs) Sorry about that. I've never seen a woman move like that in the history of mankind. I was giving my testimony in a church in Tulsa one time and there was an older couple sitting over to my left and they, they had just, just been visiting the church and they were, they were quite elderly and they were sitting over on the far side and the church had a new sound system they just put in and it had that power, that punch, that power, you know. And, and as I was giving my testimony, when I got to this part and I lifted my voice out of the corner of my, out of the corner of my eye, this man lunged forward. I thought he was coming after me or something. What we needed to be prepared for here, I didn't know. But all of a sudden, he he lunged, and I could hear a sound as I lifted my voice. He goes, "Now, can you imagine what possibly could be 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 being done in the human body with this sound?" Now, think about that. I've never heard it like it. But what had happened though is when I lifted my voice, I scared him because he was about to doze off. And I thought, well, that'll teach you for sleeping on me, you know. And when he goes, his his dentures flew out of his mouth, landed right on the floor. And he was so stunned as he sat back in his chair. And he started working it, and they couldn't find him. And and I kept on, Brother Phil, I kept on trying to give my testimony. You know, you got to keep going no matter what happens. I've seen a lot happen in church, you know, mothers nursing babies and everything else, you know. But I just keep on going. And all of a sudden, I look over there, and his teeth are on the floor. And I'm thinking, you know, this is miracle night. And what if God heals the teeth? They could be coming this way. So I just stopped and I said, my God, man, pick your teeth up and put them back. He looked around, finally found them, reached down, shuffled them two or three times and went, perfect fit. I told him later, you need to buy a bus and take that show on the road. Funny things happen in church. I was praying for a lady one time and she had her hair all piled up like the Tower of Babel. Or the leaning tower of peace. I'm not sure which. But uh, it did lean slightly left. And we were praying for miracles that night. I was trying to find a place to anoint her with oil here on her head. But I couldn't find a place because she had glasses that looked like scuba gear for Jacques Cousteau in about 66. These glasses were this big. They came You could just reach up with your tongue and straighten your glasses. And just put them right back up. It, it was amazing. 
And as I'm looking for a place to pray for this lady, I realize, you know, I've got to keep moving. Others are there, and, I, and I'm wanting to pray and, and, and minister to the others. So I thought, there's no other place. So I put my hand on her hair. And when I did, my hand disappeared. And I realized, uh-oh. This is her hair, and she's got a receipt to prove it. This was a hair piece. Come on, somebody. Bobby pinned down very heavily. My hand disappeared, and then I also realized as I got in there that there was about three cans of Rave Number 4 on there. And when I tried to lift my hand out, I couldn't get it out. And I'm praying all I can, and I can't get my hand out. Finally, I just went, in the name of Jesus, and I lifted my hand. Her whole hair came off on my hand. She's down there just, whoo! Just as bobby pins are falling to the floor. She, She's just a having a time. And I looked at one of the ushers and I said, Here, pal, the man caught with this will be dead by morning. I passed that booger off. Funny things happen. It's fun to it laugh. Third time, Grandma says she's praying and the Lord checks her stand on my word. She looks around and she said, I'd come back into the living room and there on the coffee table is the big family Bible. We've had our picture taken together, that Bible. I need to have that with me Tuesday if I can. And um, she said, the Lord just spoke to my heart to stand on His Word. She said, I've always known that to get something you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. She opened it up to Isaiah 53 and read the text that Susie read to us a moment ago, put it in the middle of the living room floor, and stood on top of it. And she said in her words, because these were the words I wrote down in our interview along with the tape, she said, the Shekinah glory of God fell in the house. She said, I prayed. And she said, I prayed until I knew that the Lord had answered prayer. She said, when I finished praying, I put the Bible back and went into the little kitchen. I'm picturing the house right now. Went around right there to the kitchen to get a drink of water. And she said, I looked at the clock there on the wall right above the sink. It was 6 in the morning. From some time after 11 till 6 in the morning, she'd been standing on a family Bible in her middle 70s at that time and praying that God would work a miracle. We've got young couples, whole and strong, can't spend five or ten minutes in pursuit, fidgety, edgy, can't wait to get out, go eat sushi, or whatever you like to do. You know, and, and see, that generation understood the importance of praying through, praying through, praying until the answer comes, not just throwing up a request and hoping for the best. Come on, somebody. But praying through. That's the ministry of an intercessor. They pray until they pray it through. Amen. Well, she felt that she had prayed through. She hadn't heard a report. Nothing seemingly had changed. But what no one else knew, especially her as she's 30 miles away from me, is about the distance of coming to see you, Pastor, from here to to Scottsdale. About that same drive for our family. And uh, while she was praying, the presence of the Lord filled my room. And it was so obvious that as I was trying to go to sleep, the presence of the Lord filled the room and I sat up quickly and began to try to locate it because it was so strong that I thought I might be able to see it. But I didn't. But I felt it. 
and I could feel the presence of the Lord here in front of me, just at the foot of the bed along the wall. You know, hospital rooms are small. You can't get lost. And the presence of the Lord is right along this wall. And uh, I fixed my eyes intently on that wall, and I couldn't see anything, but I felt His presence. It just moved along uh, the wall there for quite some time. Then I felt the presence of the Lord move toward the bed and began to walk up the left side of the bed, down to the foot of the bed, up along the right. Like someone was just, you know, walking around uh, the perimeters of a hospital bed. And, it, and at one time, it was so heavy. The presence of the Lord was so heavy. I sat up in bed. I remember reaching out to my left, trying to touch what I was feeling. I called out on the name of Jesus. I'm sure that if anyone on that graveyard shift that night in the hospital would have slipped in the room, saw this 19-year-old kid reaching out in the air, calling on the name of Jesus and crying and reaching, they'd have, they'd have said the lights are on, but there ain't no one home. But I've also learned when you need a miracle, you don't give a holy hoot what anybody else thinks. I remember not many weeks ago when we were visiting pastor, we'd go in, we'd be singing, music be playing. There'd be times we'd just sit and do nothing but pray in the Holy Ghost, Dad, because what, you know, we're, we're believing God to do something we can't do. And we didn't worry about if anybody liked it or not, if it was the, if it was the protocol of the hospital, we didn't really care. When you're believing God for a miracle, you're willing to do whatever God tells you to do. And you need to respond because it can be something very simple. A a sacrifice of praise could trigger your miracle tonight. I can say this because it's already been done. God may have spoken to your heart to give an offering. And if you didn't give it, you just missed your opportunity to trigger God's laws for you. It's called obedience. And there's times when God requires something of me when I'm believing Him to do something. It's not all about just him just coming and helping me. Many times he turns and says, all right, then I want you to respond. And he tells me to do something. I'm not saying that's what it was, but I'm just saying you need to be willing to obey the voice of the Lord because it's those simple acts of obedience that many times triggers the laws of God. Are you still with me? Am I boring you or are you getting anything? I'm just about to the good part. Hang on. And so we needed God to work this miracle desperately. I'm reaching out, trying to touch the presence of the Lord, but to no avail. I sat back in the bed discouraged and exhausted from this pursuit that went on quite a while. And the only time the presence of the Lord was not moving was one time. I remember the presence of the Lord coming back and it had many times before along the right side of the bed and then it stopped. But he dealt with me about my rebellion because, see, in the, in the local church growing up, I was always the leader. I would say to the other youth, follow me. And I had a great responsibility. And it was a positive thing until I got to this point in my life. And then I said, I want to do it my way. And the Lord reminded me of all those times where I'd been in the altar making the commitment. All I want, Lord, is your will, not mine. And he challenged me again is that still what you want and through hot tears the greatest miracle for me was not even the healing the greatest miracle was the obedience I said Lord if you could just forgive me and I wept hot tears and I said forgive me wash me tonight I said if you really and I tried to use a little humor I don't know if the Lord laughed or not I'm going to ask him when we get there but I said Lord if you're that desperate to need me here I am use me as you see fit and then I felt a hand drop on my chest 
I quickly looked up to see who maybe had slipped into the room and there was no one in the room, but yet I feel something heavy lying upon my chest. And, I, and the reason I knew it was a hand is I could feel the details. I could feel the heel, the palm, the long fingers, and a thumb. And it was extremely warm to the touch. It didn't last but a few short seconds, maybe four or five seconds, and the hand was gone. And the presence of the Lord left the room just as quickly as it had entered. I felt his touch. I know what it feels like for the Lord to touch us. But I didn't feel any better. In fact, the next morning when I did get a very little amount of sleep, the next morning I was awakened to start the process of getting prepped for surgery. And I was in more pain the next morning I'd ever been. Like somebody was stabbing me with sharp knives. The pain was excruciating. I even got out of the bed and stood up and, and, and the pain hit me, took my breath. And I grabbed myself around the chest and I fell right back into the bed. And I heard this lying, tormenting said you didn't get anything he didn't touch you he wasn't here on and on and on and right out loud as a nurse had just entered the room I sat back up got my breath and I said it very loudly devil I rebuke you in the name of Jesus you're a liar and I looked over at that nurse after I said that and she went and she <laughs> quickly made her way right on back up I didn't care if it offended her or not. I'm, I'm after a miracle. I wasn't worried about her religious background. I was after a miracle. I was fighting for my life. And as that morning proceeded, I quickly was given instructions, prepped for surgery. And the last person I saw as I was getting ready to be taken down was my grandmother. She came in a little late, and thankfully that morning... The surgeons were just a little delayed in getting me there for whatever reason. But the Lord knew. She came in, and I was out in the hall, and she leaned over the bed. Everybody, I'd already seen everyone else. Everyone was in the waiting areas, but she came in, leaned over, and, and, I, and I saw dentures, and I smelled Clorox. Because to save money, my mamma would put her dentures in Clorox and water. Man, so I smell it. She had Clorox breath. I'll never forget. I smell it now. She leaned over me and she said, Honey, I've been with him all night long. And she just smiled. And I wanted to say that Clorox is killing me, but go ahead. Anyway, she said, I've been with him all night long. And I said, So have I. She said, I just want to know if the Lord did what I asked him to do. I said, What do you mean? She said, I asked the Lord to fill your room with his prayer. I want you to listen to the detail of an intercessor's cry. She said, I asked the Lord to fill your room with his presence. I said, he did. She said, I asked the Lord to walk around your bed and love on you. That's the way she put it. I said, he did. She said, then I asked the Lord to go ahead and take care of any issues. She never minced words. And I said, he did. Then she took that little Cherokee Indian hand, such a beautiful lady, beautiful light brown Cherokee Indian skin and white hair. And she put her little hand on me and she said, I asked the Lord to lay his hand on you and heal you all. I want to know is did he touch you? The detail, the order as it had happened. And I, both of us by this time, we're both crying there. It's time to be taken. The surgeons had called for me. 
those that were in charge of getting me there or waiting right there wanting and there that you could tell they're irritated they're wanting to go and I said he touched me she didn't say goodbye I didn't even get my kiss she just turned and started praying in the Holy Ghost and I could hear those flat shoes on that tile floor she walked away and it grew more dim as she walked and they stepped in and the bed started rolling and I'd already been given something, you know, to prep me for that surgery. And I remember counting floor, four of those fluorescent lights in the ceiling. And I don't remember anything after that. I don't even remember getting into surgery, you know. I just I fell asleep before we ever got in. When I'm awakened, I'm not in intensive care where I'm supposed to be. When I'm awakened, I'm, um, I'm finished with the first surgery. But the second one never happened. And I get taken back to the room that I just came from. And I hear this this noise. We're going to be doing a lot of this Tuesday afternoon. Noise. And what had happened was my grandmother the night before had kept her teeth in when she prayed all night long. You pray all night in teeth that are not your own. She said her gums were irritated. So she took her teeth out when she got to the waiting room. And when the report came, here's the report. The doctors went inside and started the long process of removing mass. Before they started removing mass, they searched for mass. They searched and searched and searched, top to bottom, side to side. Again, top to bottom, side to side. One piece of scar tissue showed up that couldn't find one of the tumors. Searched again and again and again and again. Even picked up the phone and called the experts at the Great Mayo Clinic. No explanation. Searched and searched and searched. Finally, closed the incision. Sent me back to my room. Went to conference to figure out what in the world are we going to tell that loud bunch down there carrying on. My grandma got down there. And she told everybody, you know, what, what we had just shared together. And my pastor said that your grandma kind of took over down there. She got in there and with no teeth, she sung one of the old songs of the church. Some of you will remember it. It was in four flats. She goes, oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the street of glory, let me lift my voice. Carried all past home and last, they were to rejoice. As only a grandma with no teeth could sing it. She started singing People that were kneeling around on the chairs and praying, you know, and got up and they started singing and rejoicing. A little while later, I'm awakened and something warm is splashing right on my face. And it was the tears of family. And when I was awakened enough to understand, it was my dad that said, honey, and he was just crying. He said, they can't find any cancer. And then... I just broke out crying because of the surgery. I was very swollen and all I had was a whisper. And I was about to fall asleep again, you know, just kind of in and out. But I looked at my dad and I said, would you be disappointed in me if we just would forego this football thing? I need to go to Bible college. And my dad said, well, honey, what you don't know is while you were in surgery, I called and got you a room reserved just in case you wanted to go. 
We'll make sure you get there. And the Lord will help us. I healed up, went to Bible college, got involved in a ministry called Revival Time Choir, a radio broadcast choir of the Assemblies of God. Some of you, that means nothing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There, Susie was already there as the choir soloist. And uh, our ministry really started there. I uh, begged God to give me a shot. I worked hard. Spent a lot of money. Still spending big. Why not? Why not? Praise the Lord. So for 25 years, I've been cancer-free. And... I'm rejoicing. I can't remember, Susie and I can't remember much past as far as what I'm getting ready to say, past 15 years, but the last 15 years I've not missed a service because of health. Just give the Lord praise. Because when you're one country to another, one state to another, one airport to another, you know what I mean, Brother Rod, all the time around people that are sick. Not one time. Have we ever stepped to the pulpit with fever, with sickness, and I just give God praise. I don't understand it all, but I just know when He does something, He does a good job. And He completely heals. He doesn't just touch you halfway and just leave you hanging. But if He touches you, you will know you've been touched. We're here to believe God for miracles. Stand with me, please.